Hello. Remember me. It's great to see you. I'm, uh, I'm Corey. For those of you who don't know me or been uh, or new today or come the last couple of months, I, I've been gone um, on a, a very wonderful three-month sabbatical. Um, I'm so grateful to serve a church um, that gives, generously gives a three-month sabbatical to their pastors every seven years. And um, it was just a wonderful time of renewal and refreshment and restoration, very much needed. And so um, thank you. Thank you so much for that gift to me and my family. I'm so grateful to you all for the way that you so ably led, and especially I'm thankful to our staff um, who, who so ably and tirelessly led in my absence. So thank you. Uh, you'll be hearing more from me just in the coming months about what we did and how we spent our time. We did, we did do more than watch Netflix and movies, and uh, we actually had a great time and did a lot of really beautiful things together as a family. Today, uh, we are going to start a little mini-series for, the, for this, the end of the summer in August, and this series is on the Bible. It's going to be a three-week series on the Bible. Now, why do this? Why study about the Bible? Well, the Bible is certainly a subject worthy of our study. You may know that the Bible is still, to this day, the, the best-selling, the, the most banned, uh, the most controversial book in history and on the planet. It is revered and reviled. Uh, it is put in museums and burned in piles of fire. Uh, for, for, for some people, some people have, have gone to torture and imprisonment and even death for the sake of the Bible. Other people have done everything they can in their power to ensure its extinction. I mean, no other book has provoked such wide and divergent reactions. But the main reason why we're going to study the Bible over the next few weeks is because we want to live into our values as a church. One of our values as a church is biblical faithfulness, which means that we want to be a community that is rooted and grounded in the Holy Scriptures and that takes our cues from the Scriptures, which is great on paper, but the question is, are we actually living out that value? Are you and I individually, together as a community, living out this value of biblical faithfulness? The truth is that most all of us have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. But I would say that most of us probably do. In fact, my guess is that many of you have even multiple Bibles. Is that true? You, you, you know, you have that big fat one that your grandma gave you that has the, the cherub on the front, and then you've got the thin one you keep in the glove box of your car, and then you've got the big fat one, the big study Bible with the, the embroidered covers that you bring to church to show people how holy you are. You know, you know what I'm talking about? So we all, we all have lots of Bibles. In fact, 90%, 90% of American households own a Bible. And yet fewer and fewer of us are actually reading the Bible. Uh, a recent Barna poll showed that half of Americans have read none of the Bible at all. And Christians aren't much better. Only 45% of people who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. And one in five churchgoers report that they never read the Bible at all. And so the truth is, is that we're kind of a, a society that loves the Bible, but hardly anybody actually reads it. And so we wonder why the state of American Christianity is so confused uh, and why we look no different in the world around us and why we're so married to prosperity and wealth and, and why we're so confused about our relationship to political power. You know, there's, no, there's a reason for that. It's because we are not a people who are deeply grounded in and formed by the, the Holy Scriptures. So why don't we read the Bible? Why don't you read the Bible if you're one of those people that don't? You know, there's a lot of reasons, and I'm not judging you. Because I go through seasons in my life where I struggle with it too. 
Laziness, maybe it is for some of us. Uh, Busyness, lack of time. Boredom, maybe lack of interest. But what we want to do over the next few weeks is, is hopefully take away at least one big reason that a lot of us don't read scripture, and that's because it's difficult. It's hard sometimes to understand what the Bible is talking about. Anyone here care to admit that they've had a hard time at some point reading the Bible? I will raise my hand high on that one. You know, and you might have had this experience. Maybe before you said, oh, I'm going to read the Bible this year, and you pick it up, and you decide you're going to start from the beginning, and you open to the first page, and you read Genesis, and Genesis is pretty interesting. You know, it's full of love and war and betrayal and romance and intrigue and sex and violence and all of these things and you come to Exodus and it's kind of similar and then you come to Leviticus and it's full of priests and blood and animals and all these laws about fabrics and scabs and discharges and all these things you're like what is this and you close it and you don't come back to it again why because it's difficult and the reason why it's difficult is because every time you open the scriptures you are entering into two different worlds. That's why we're calling this series Between Two Worlds. Because on the one hand, as a reader, as a contemporary reader of Scripture, you are inhabiting your own contemporary world, your world of, with modern fashions and desires and interests and cultural practices and food and ways of doing things and all the complex modern societal problems that we live with today. And so you are inhabiting the modern world, but at the same time, when you open the Bible, you are entering into another ancient world. A world that was from sometimes many thousands of years ago in a totally different time and culture, written by languages, some of which don't exist anymore, written in cities, some of which don't exist anymore, by people that are confusing with habits and cultural practices that are very difficult to understand. So no wonderful, no wonder it's difficult is because we live in the world of the here and now, and this book was written in the then and there. And if we want to become faithful interpreters and students of the Bible, we need to become bridge builders. People who build bridges from the then and there to the here and now, who are able to study and wisely understand and interpret the Bible to build a bridge from the ancient word to the modern world so that we can wisely understand, interpret, and apply this ancient text to all the complex problems and issues that we live with in our world today. And that's not easy. It's not easy. It takes practice. It takes work and and learning. And we want to help you grow in that, not just the next few weeks, but also this whole fall. We actually have two opportunities this fall for you to grow as a student of the learning and the interpretation of Scripture. And so I really hope, and I really believe this, that whatever your place is in the spiritual spectrum, that you will benefit from this. Whether you're not a Christian, you're interested in learning more about Jesus, but this book is super overwhelming to think about reading, or whether you maybe are a Christian and you want to read the Bible, but every time you do, you find it really hard to read, or whether you've been a Christian for a long time, but you find yourself in a slump where Bible reading is very dry and, and stale and, or maybe non-existent, or maybe you love the Bible and you read it all the time and you just want to grow as a student of Scripture. Wherever you are, we want to equip you to become a more faithful student, interpreter, and follower of Scripture as it directs us by the Spirit of God. So today, we're going to begin at the most basic level, just ask the basic question, what's the big deal about the Bible? Why do Christians love it so much? Why is it so central to our faith? And what should we expect when we read the Scripture? And we're going to do that, we're going to study that, what is so big, what's so important about the Bible, by looking at this great text from the New Testament, from the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you turn there in your Bibles, or in the bulletin, 
Now, now, Paul was an apostle of God, so a leader of the early church, and he was writing to his young protege, Timothy, who was a pastor in the church of Ephesus, and he's encouraging him to stand firm amidst all the difficult things that were happening in the city and the world around him at the time. He refers here to, in verse 15, the Holy Scriptures. Now, Paul and Timothy, of course, their Holy Scriptures were made up of the Jewish Bible, what we know today as the 39 books of the Old Testament. At the same time, Paul was very self-consciously aware that he and the other apostles were writing new texts, new scriptures that would be quickly incorporated into the 27 books that we call the New Testament. So when I refer to holy scriptures today, I'm speaking of that whole canon of the Old Testament, 39 books, New Testament, 27 books that we know as our modern Bible today. Okay, so let's pray because we need the Holy Spirit every time we read the Bible to help us open our eyes to see what's in here. Okay, so let's pray. Holy God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, you've given us this book. Holy Spirit, you have breathed the words of this book. Jesus Christ, you are the content of this book. We pray for your help as we seek to understand your word today. Help us to understand your Bible more so that we can live it out in in this world today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. So let's look at three vital truths that Paul mentions in this short text to help us understand why the Bible is so vital for our faith. These are the three things that I wanna look at with, at you today. First, we're gonna look at the origin of the Bible. Where did it come from? Secondly, we're going to look at the message of the Bible. What is this book really all about? Third, we're going to look at the purpose of the Bible. What, is it, what does it do in our lives? Okay? The origin, the message, and the purpose. You got that? You all with me on there? You guys out there? Hello? Yep. Okay, great. So first, let's look at the origin of the Bible. Paul says here in verse 16, all scripture is what? God Breathe, God breathe. This is a very interesting phrase. If you were raised in the King James, you might remember that the King James actually says something is quite wordy. It says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. I actually like the NIV translation here because Paul uses one single Greek word. He says, the Bible is theanoustos. Theo means God noustos, which means breathe. He's saying that all the scripture is breathed out of the mouth of God. So that encountering these words, we are actually encountering the mind and the heart and the thoughts of God breathed out of his mouth, given to us by the Holy Spirit. This is how communication happens, right? When we open our mouths, as I'm doing right now, right now, did you notice I'm opening my mouth, I'm breathing out words, and what is inside the invisible portions of my mind and person are coming out and being revealed to you, so you know what I'm thinking. And if I were to sit here and stand here with my mouth shut in total silence and ask you to tell me what I'm thinking, no one could see into the invisible places of my mind and tell me, can you? Try. Anyone guess? 
No, no, I'm not doing that right now. I'm not thinking about that anymore. And now I'm thinking about a hot buttermilk donut from Country Style. That's what I'm thinking about. Because I'm going to eat one later, I think. So, but see, just, this is, God says this very thing. He says in Isaiah 58, listen, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And yet God says, my word has gone forth out of my mouth. Just as you did not know what was in my mind until I opened my mouth and breathed the words to reveal them to you, so we would never know anything about God, nothing about him, nothing about his most private, intimate parts of his personhood, unless he breathes out his word and his word comes out. And the good news is, friends, that God has spoken. He has spoken. We don't have to live in the dark. Do you see what good news this is? You know, I, have you ever wondered what God is like? You don't have to wonder. God, you don't have to grope around in the dark. We don't have to wonder what God is like, what God is thinking. He has taken initiative to make himself known, to reveal his heart and mind, his most intimate triune personhood through his word. And we find that word here in this God-breathed book. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Scripture was breathed out by God, but it was not just like dropped down from heaven. It was breathed out through the human authors who wrote down these words. In fact, we know that almost 40 different human authors over a period of about 1,500 years wrote the 66 books that make up this book. And so just as we believe that this is Fully the word of God, we also believe that it is the words of human beings who are writing in particular times and places and cultures and points of history. And this is why it can be difficult sometimes, because when we read the Bible, we encounter these ancient worlds and customs and cultures of these ancient authors. And that requires us to pay close attention to the history and the cultural context of which these words come to us. And my whole sermon next week is going to be about that, how we can interpret these ancient texts to understand and how they are apply to our world today. But for now, I want you to see this, that the reason this book is so central for Christians is because its origin is God himself. And that to read it is to hear and know and encounter that God, to know his mind, to know his heart and his voice. You know, as a young Christian, I remember I was with some people who used to say all the time, like, oh, God told me this, or I heard God tell me tell me this, or, you know, I had a girlfriend once who told me that God told her to break up with me. And I'm like, how are you hearing this? You know, like I'm 40, 41 years old and I have never heard God's audible voice. I'm a pastor. I've never heard God's audible voice. But you know what? I hear him every day. I hear him clearly speak every day and you can hear him. You can, you can know him. You can know his voice. You can know his mind. You can know how he feels about you. You're not in the dark. You don't have to stumble in confusion. You can know and encounter the God who made you and loves you in and through this God-breathed book given for you. That's amazing. Do you believe that? So first, that's the origin of the Bible. It's God-breathed. Second, though, the message of the Bible. Now, if that's where the Bible came from, another big question that sometimes people have is, well, what's the Bible all about? Because this is a confusing book. In fact, if you were playing like that family feud game and you went out on the street and asked, took a, took a poll and asked people to answer the question and what you think the Bible is, and you know in family feud, they come up with like the percentage points of answers. You know, I think the highest percentage of answers that people would say if you asked them what's in the Bible, they would say a bunch of rules, right? A bunch of rules, a bunch of commands, a bunch of... Uh, 
rules about what you should and shouldn't do. And in fact, we've seen a lot of people, a lot of Christians even, use those rules to control and manipulate and even oppress other people. Well, let me tell you, the Bible definitely has some rules. I'm not hiding that. It, some, in fact, 10 big ones that you, <laughs> that you all studied uh, this summer. And these rules are important. Commands are important because they show us how life works best, how God intends human life to flourish. But listen, friends, that is not mainly what the Bible is about. The Bible is not mainly about you and what you should be doing and what you should not be doing. If you want to know that, there's plenty of self-help books on the tab of Amazon that says self-help. The Bible is not mainly actually about you at all. The Bible is mainly about God and what God has done for you. And that is seriously good news. So that's the first thing is the Bible is not mainly a book of rules. Second, the second big percentage answer in the family feud of the Bible is that people think that the Bible is just a book of heroes, a book of uh, stories about uh, heroic people doing spiritually and moral exemplary things, and that you should just read these, Bible, these stories and be inspired or something. Look, the Bible does have some heroes, some good ones, in fact, but to be honest, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. Most of them make huge mistakes, majorly mess up, act mean, act foolish, do terrible things, get scared, run away. Some of them are downright scoundrels. And what that tells you this is that the great majority of people in the Bible are like me and like you. So the Bible is not mainly a book of rules. It is not mainly a collection of inspirational stories about heroic people that you should emulate. So what is it? Well, Paul says it right here. He says the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He says it right here. He, he says when you boil it all down, the whole Bible is a story about salvation, a message about salvation. It's the story, the grand story of God saving you, rescuing the earth and the people that he loves. That the whole, yes, the Bible is made of many different kinds of materials, history, chronology, poetry, wisdom, letters, lots of narrative, but together in this truly miraculous way, the Bible contains one massive unified story about what God has done to redeem a world that is shattered and lost. And the Bible tells us that story. It tells us how God made the world to be good and beautiful and for us to relate to him. It talks about how this world has shattered and fallen apart and what's wrong with us, what's, what's sick about us. And then it tells the story of how God stepped in to redeem us and rescue us and the people in the world that he loves. And then it tells in the end how it's all gonna get fixed. It is this massive, beautiful story about what God has done in his love to redeem all things. And at the center of this story is one person. This one person that the Old Testament saints looked to and the New Testament saints looked back to, this hero, this king, this prince, this warrior, rescuer, this baby, the Christ, the Yeshua, the Messiah, the one who has come from the Father in the power of the Spirit to redeem all things. All of Scripture finally comes back to him. And if you don't believe me, Jesus said it himself. This young whippersnapper preacher from this podunk town of Nazareth once stood up to a bunch of grown-ups and he said, John 5, 39, all of scripture bears witness to me. If you were ever in church and a preacher says that, you should run. <laughs> but Jesus said it. Audacious. 
And yet Christians believe this is true, that everything in all of scriptures points back to him. You know, I was, I was in England this summer for a couple weeks, and they say in England that no matter where you are in England, no matter how small the path or foot road, no matter how obscure the road, every path linked in with other paths, all roads lead ultimately back to London. And in the same way, we Christians say that no matter where you are in the Bible, no matter how obscure of a place, or no matter random of a verse, no matter what it is, all ver- everything in the Bible linked together in the great story of Scripture, everything comes back to Jesus Christ. Everything comes back to him. And so, friends, this is ultimately why Christians love the Bible. And I want you to hear this, because sometimes people accuse Christians of being maybe bibliolaters, people who worship the Bible. No, we don't worship the Bible. If we did, we would be idolaters. We would be bibliolaters. No, we love the Bible because we love Jesus. We love the Bible because we love the one to whom everything in the Bible points. We love the Bible because the written word bears witness to the living word. Are any of you in love today? If you are, you're probably not listening to me. You're distracted. Uh, but many, when, when people are in love, if, if you are today, you probably have on your person a photograph of your beloved, probably these days an electronic photo. In fact, here on my phone, right on my home screen, I have a picture of my beloved and beautiful Sarah right there, you see. And, and when you're in love, you have a picture of your beloved because it points to her. It reminds you of her. It speaks of her. Maybe when you're in a meeting, you might sort of slip it out and take a little look at it. Or when someone's not around, you might even give it a little kiss. You know, like... (laughs) Or maybe that's just weird. (laughs) Kevin's like, you are weird. Uh, But listen, listen. This is a far cry from the real thing. (laughs) We love... I love this photo because it points to the person. It points to her. And we love this book because it points to him, because it speaks of him, because the whole Bible bears witness to the living word. And when we meet him, we can till meet him in the pages of this text. It's like the the travelers on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember after Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to them and it says that he opened the scriptures to them and he began to teach them what all of scripture says concerning himself. And then as he disappeared, they looked at each other and they said, did our hearts not burn within us as he opened the scriptures unto us? And friends, he still speaks today. Your hearts can still burn as you open the text. The living Jesus meets you here and you will cry, my own heart burns within me as I find him here. He is alive and his word bears witness to him. So, what is the origin of Scripture? Where did it come from? It was breathed out of the very mouth of God. What is the Bible about? The whole Bible is one grand story of salvation, what God has done to redeem all things through Jesus Christ, and you were invited by faith to trust in him. One last thing, though. What does Paul say about the purpose of the Bible? Now, there's a lot of purposes. He just points on one here. He says this, all of Scripture is useful, useful or profitable for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love this because remember I said before the Bible is not about you, yet it's for you. It's useful to you, profitable. It's given for you. Look what Paul says at the end, that you might be thoroughly equipped. I love what the ESV says, that you might become complete, whole, equipped for every good work. So the Bible is not mainly for information, 
that you become a big-headed, arrogant person because you've memorized so much Bible verses, but the Bible is mainly for transformation. Not information, but transformation that, that God wants to use the Scripture to get into you to help you grow up, become whole in the person that God has designed and made you to be. And he does it through the Bible. Look at, look at these verbs here that Paul uses. He says first, he says these two words, teaching and rebuking, those are, are pedagogical words. He's really speaking here of what we believe. He's speaking of doctrine, that the scriptures show us what to believe about God, about Jesus Christ, about the spirit, about the way of salvation, that the scripture shows us what to believe and what not to believe. It exposes lies, reveals truth. The scripture forms and shapes our thinking, our minds. And then these two words, on the other hand, correction and training are volitional words. They speak to ethics or the will, how we live, our habits. So Paul is saying here is that God wants to use the scripture in your life to change you, not just change your beliefs, but also your habits, not just your thinking, but also your living. He wants to use the word to get deep inside of you so that you can be changing and transforming and grow up, become the person that God wants you to be. And it happens. It's happened to me. You find this crazy thing happens as you read the Bible. You think you're reading the Bible, and you come to find that the Bible is reading you. You think you're using the Bible and trying to get into it, and you find that the Bible is actually getting into you. It's sifting you, sorting you, revealing things about you that maybe you didn't want to see about yourself. I remember just, I remember a couple years ago, this was so potent of an experience that I remember it clearly like it was yesterday. I was reading from John chapter 12, and it's a story that John recounts where many of the people were believing in Jesus, but they did not confess their faith in him because they were afraid of the religious leaders and what the religious leaders would say. And John says this, he says, they were afraid because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And that phrase just jumped off the page and it struck into my heart and it suddenly was like God was speaking to me, that's you. You love the praise of men way more than you love my praise for you. And I began to realize, I began to, to, to recognize this about myself, that, that many of the things that I do are done you know, for approval or for affirmation, or many of the things I don't do because I'm cowardly, I do because I'm afraid of what other people might do or think. I began to realize, oh my gosh, I'm one of these people who loves the praise of other people more than I love the praise of my father who loves me. And it still cuts to my heart today. And that's what the Bible does. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. In fact, Spurgeon says the Bible is like a lion. You just release it from the cage and let it do its work. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, if this is true, it means we have to approach the Bible pretty differently than some of us are accustomed to doing it. It's not like I can just read through it and say, Oh, that's such a nice verse. I think I'll write that in calligraphy and hang it on my powder room wall. You know, it goes well with the pink in the bathroom, right? So, you know, they, so often we do this with the Bible as we read the Bible and we say, oh, I like that. Oh, I love that. Oh, I don't like that. Ooh, this bit, don't like that at all. Just pretend that's not there, right? We often do this. We, we believe that we can stand over the Bible and decide what we like and what we don't. But if this is true, if God is really speaking in and through his word, it means it's actually reverse. That it is not us standing over and scrutinizing the text, but it is the text standing over and scrutinizing us. It is not us looking at the text and saying, oh, I like this and I don't like this. It's God standing over us through his word, looking at you, saying to you, I like that, I don't like that. 
And I don't like that, and I really don't like that. And the Bible is reading us. It is sifting, sorting, dividing. And this puts us on a collision course with the society around us. We're told all of our lives that the person who calls the shot about how you live your life is you. That only you as an individual has the right to decide what you believe and what is right and wrong for you. But look, if this is true, if God is really making himself known through this book, wouldn't you expect that when you open this book, if you are really coming into relationship with the real living God, that there would be some things that you would find difficult or hard or challenging and that would bring you in great conflict with some certain things in your life. Any real relationship, any of you married, you know any real relationship includes deep challenge, confrontation, and conflict for you to grow up and become a better person. So if you just pick out what you want from the Bible and choose what you like and reject the rest or like some things but turn away from the others, you will not be in relationship with the real God. You will be in relationship with a little G God who is a true projection of your own imagination, a little genie formed by your own internal desires. That's what you'll know. But to know the living God means that you let it challenge you and correct you and to come under relationship with his authority because of this word. Now, it's not to say that everything in the Bible is perfectly clear. It's not. It's not to say that there aren't any confusing things in the Bible. There are. The whole sermon next week is about how we can become careful interpreters of God's word, especially the hard parts. So this doesn't mean you understand everything. It doesn't mean that you have all your questions answered. Surrendering to the Bible's authority means you're willing to trust its authority for your life and that even when you don't understand all of it, you want to bring yourself under submission of his rule. One of the great signs that you are growing as a person is that you're willing to say, I am no longer my own. I can no longer live the way that I want to live. I give up the right to determine my own course and I put myself under the authority of another and trust him to work in me as he wills. Have you done that? Have you surrendered to God's authority and to his word? Some of you probably have to do that, maybe recommit yourself to that today because you know that there's things going on in your life that you've chosen to turn away from his authority and his rule. That's what the Bible does. It gets inside of us because it's his voice. So let me sum up. We began today with the simple question of why this book is so important, why Christians hold this book to be so central. And we've seen at least these three things that its origin means that it has come from the very mind of God. It's a God-breathed book given through human authors. Second, the message. The message is not a rule book. It's not a book of heroes. It is the message of the story of salvation through Jesus Christ. And finally, the purpose is, is that it is useful, that God wants to use Scripture in our lives, not for information, but for transformation, that we might grow up and become the men and women that he wants us to be. And so, friends, I say in conclusion, thank God for the Bible. Thank God he's not abandoned us to grope around in the darkness and flounder in this crazy world of confusion, wondering what is up and who he is and where this is all going, to wonder what he is or what he's like. Friends, he has given us this as a light to our feet, a lamp for our path, a rock on which to stand in the midst of the chaos. And so I hope today that some of you are inspired to freshly commit yourself to be a student of the word of God. I hope that some of you are convicted about your neglect of this great treasure that we have been given. I hope that all of us can resolve together that we would be faithful servants and students of the word of God and letting it form us. Do not neglect this gift, friends. God has spoken. He has revealed his heart. He's illumined his savior. He's shown us the path of life. Thanks 
be to God for the Bible. Thanks be to God. And as we say every week, when we read the scripture out loud publicly together, this is the word of the Lord. Let's say together, thanks be to God. Let's pray.